This morning, uh, as I begin this message, uh, I do so with a real sense of excitement and expectation. I'm going to give myself a bit more room. <laughs> That's better. And now I feel better. I'm excited because, as Amber said, I, I emailed her some weeks ago uh, while we were away. Because as I was reading my Bible, I, I really feel like I received an amazing revelation around the whole subject of vision and mission. And at that moment, literally at that moment, I felt quite a a significant nudge, a real sense that I had to unpack this with you as soon as we got home. So I'm excited about this. I'm expectant because I believe what I'm going to share with you over today and the next three weeks, um, I believe my heart that as you allow the Word of God to get in, as you allow it to go into your spirit, I believe there will be a a release of an anointing of the Holy Spirit on this place to set people free in a whole new manner and a whole new level of passion, fire, and freedom to outwork what God has put on your lives to do. And there's no way I can do this in one message. So I'm going to take the next three weeks to unpack this. So before we go anywhere else, can can we just pause and pray and just really set this one before the Lord? Can we do that? Come on. Spirit of the living God. You are God here on earth today. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. And he actually said to the disciples, it's good that I go. Because as he ascended, as he rose to heaven, our God in heaven sent you, Holy Spirit. And so we know that you are God on earth today. You are the spirit of truth and spirit of revelation. You are our guide, our counselor, our convictor of our sin. You are the one who holds us, leads us, steers us, imparts into us. And so we open our hearts this morning afresh to to hear from you, to receive from you, to look towards you. We make ourselves available for your impartation this morning. Come, as we've just been singing, a fresh wind. The words of Ezekiel, uh, commanded by God, Come, O breath of God, from the four winds and blow upon this valley. All that is in your heart, Holy Spirit, unpack and unleash today, we pray in Jesus' name. huge welcome to everyone who's joining us online this morning. If you've joined us over the last eight weeks and you have no idea who I am, my name's Tom and my wife Suzanne, we have the incredible honor and privilege of leading this church. So from whatever city, town or nation you're joining us from, God bless you. Can we love on our online folks this morning? God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. So I wanna, I'm going to break this up into bits this morning. I want to lay a foundation um, and, and as we go, so um, over the years of, of leading a church, I've been asked numerous times, what's your vision for the church? And uh, I find myself hesitating to answer that question. And the hesitation is caused by two things. The first one is that it is mildly terrifying to take what God has so personally sown into my heart and try and impart it into your hearts because you kind of put yourself out there. It's like, you know, it's almost like a brand new mum with her very first child when someone comes up and goes, can I have a cuddle? And you go, any mums know what I'm talking about? You know, you're just like, can I, can I trust you with this? Can I trust myself to let you with, hold this? And so it is, it is mildly terrifying, even after the, all the years that we've been pastoring, every time I speak vision, it's, it's a little tense. But the other thing that causes me to hesitate when people say, what's your vision? 
more often than not, that question is asked with some sort of numerical dimension or specific measurability about it or some sort of outcome, such as how many salvations do you want to see? How many baptisms per year? And what ministries are you going to start? What buildings are you going to build? What city are you going to plant? And all these measurable things. And you know what? I'm, I'm actually reluctant to put a target on vision for three reasons. Number one, when it comes to salvation, every single life is important. Mother Teresa was asked by a newspaper reporter of all the years that she worked in the slums in Kolkata in India, she, the, the, the reporter goes, isn't what you do just a drop in the ocean? And she turned around to him and she said, yes, but vast oceans are made up of many drops. And so I'm, I hesitate to put a numerical on this because every single life matters. In actual fact, the scriptures say when one person gives their heart to the Lord, there's a party in heaven. The second thing is that if we put a numerical figure or a specific dimension on it, then immediately we establish a point of judgment. Was it achieved? And what this does is it takes the focus off the journey and off the who, and it places it and makes it all about the what. And the third thing is this. Vision to me is it's about direction. Or another description that I was given by a very, very respected mentor in my life, and this is the way he put it. It's like God gives me a picture frame. And in that picture frame, a kingdom masterpiece is being painted. It's a work in progress. See, vision, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think any vision that any believer has will be made whole and complete until that individual stands whole and complete before our Lord and Master and our Savior. Even the Scriptures say we know in part and we prophesy in part, but He knows the whole. It is important to have some sort of measurability. It is important, so let's just own that. So instead of specific numbers, my direction is to work with percentages. And these are the sort of things, just to put it out there, this, I work with this hope in mind that over 70% of the church will be in connect groups. That over 80% of the church will have been baptized by full immersion. And if you have not yet been baptized, I've been listening to the messages, uh, not while we're away, but since we got home. And um, Pastor Boyd, our national leader, spoke here. And, and there were a number of salvations. And he said, the next thing you've got to do is be baptized. So if you've never been baptized... You know, it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not mental gymnastics on whether you should or shouldn't. It's a command. Jesus said, be baptized. And so we're planning one down the river in the, in the next few weeks when it starts to warm up, not just the air, but the water. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you've never been baptized, please get hold of me because we've already got we've already got a good list. And then the other percentage is that over 60% are baptized and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And 90% of the church is connected in some way across all the generations. So those are, these are the sort of percentages that I try and work to and lead to as a foundation. But what was the revelation that God gave me while I was away? Here it is. Over the years, I've heard many preachers use Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 in their vision messages. And this is what it says. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the correct message to others. And I'm sure if you've been around church long enough, you'll have heard some preacher somewhere at a conference or in church talk about, you know, write it down, write it down. Every, every life coach and mission coach and everything, whether they're saved or unsaved, go write it down, write it down, make it clear, da-da-da-da. 
And, um, you know, that's, it, it's, it's good advice, but actually that is one verse been taken out of context in, our, in the Bible. Because when you read the whole passage around that one verse, this is God replying to Habakkuk. And why was he replying to Habakkuk? Because Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you say it, Habakkuk, he was literally moaning and complaining and questioning God on why there had been such rampant judgment on the nation of Israel. And then God replies to his questions and his complaining. And in his reply, he tells Habakkuk why the judgment came. And then he tells Habakkuk, what he's going to do to the Babylonians who brought that judgment. The Babylonians were the very tool that God used to bring judgment on Israel. And why did it need to be so specific and why did it need to be so clear? Well, because there was a specific reason that that judgment came on Israel and there was a very, very specific outcome. And so no wonder it says Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Why? Because the Israelites were both, there were survivors still in Jerusalem, and the rest of them were in exile in Babylon. And when messengers were sent, they were generally carried by a runner. And so it had to be clear so that the runner wouldn't forget it. So when God said, make it clear, he was wanting the Israelites, you need to understand this is why it happened. And this is what I'm going to do about it. The Israelites, both in Jerusalem as survivors and in exile, needed the correct message. However, when it comes to what God has for us here and now, I believe the mission or the commission is a picture frame. And God is giving us a heaven directive. And yet, here's the thing. This is one of the things that just blows my mind about God. He allows us to outwork that directive with the wonderful mix of collective abilities to move and to flex and to paint within the framework of his directive. I mean, come on, guys. How boring no, I was going to say, how boring would it, the world be if every single one of us loved jets like I do? I, I would be in my happy place. But, I mean, how boring if we all wore the same color clothes, if we all had the same interests, if we all liked the same food. Yeah. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has made some of us like Indian hot curries, while some of us break into a sweat at the thought of an Indian hot curry. God has made some of us like steaks well done or like a very good South African friend of mine, when I asked him how he liked his steak, he said to me, Pastor Tom, a good vet could bring it back. <laughs> and every South African said, yeah, there are a lot of nods. Yeah, there are a lot of nods. Yeah, you all want to admit that you like a blue steak. It still moves when you stab it. But God is just in his infinite creativity and, and ability. He has made, given each of us this amazing gift of mix and color and passion. And, and out of all of that, he allows us to step into his commission, to step into his commission that he has for us. What is that commission? 
Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The wee sub A there, the, the cross-reference, where it says all nations, another meaning is all peoples. This part of this verse in the message translation says this, Jesus undeterred, went right away and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go, he said. I believe vision, there are two specifics about vision and faith. Number one is this, that vision is both positional and progressive. What does that mean? It means, sorry, cameraman, you're going to have to follow me. (laughs) It means that we're over here and we're waiting on God and we're asking God and he gives us a directive and he gives us an indication and we go, I can run with that or I can walk with that. So we position ourselves to serve in that place and we stay there until God gives us the next. And then when he gives us the next, we then move to the next position and a vision is progressive. It's positional and it's progressive. And the second thing about vision is this, life without vision is wobbly. The scriptures in Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 out of the message translation puts it this way. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he, re- what he reveals, they are most blessed. This is such a powerful picture for us today. We usually don't know exactly where God is leading us. We have the directive, but not every one of us are going to go to exactly the same place. We usually have an idea but we don't have the full and set, full and complete picture, the full and complete set of plans. That's why we must attend to what he reveals. Let me put it this way to you. The story of Abraham. Who knows the story of Abraham who took his son Isaac up to the mountain because God said, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I'll go to the mountain, which I will show you and sacrifice him. Hmm. Abraham had to wait quite a wee while for that son. But I think Abraham went knowing that because God miraculously brought him a son from an old man and a barren woman, that if God required his son, he could do it all over again. And so what did he do? He chopped up the firewood. He got a wee container with fire embers in. He loaded them on the donkey with his son. And off they went. Where? To the mountain. Which one? The one he would show They get to the mountain, Abraham builds the altar, his son's looking around going, Dad, this is great, where's the sheep? And then his dad goes, stick your hands out, son. We saw saw it, where's Ryan? We saw it in the drama last week. Do you think Isaac really wanted to have a conversation with his dad after that day? (laughs) But here's the thing, Abraham in obedience is literally about to slaughter his son and then God stops him and gives him a ram in the bush. Now, I don't know how long it took them to get to that mountain. I would say it was probably two or three days. Why must we attend to what God reveals? Because if Abraham had gone and killed his son, he would have killed his son on yesterday's revelation. Whereas in that moment, because he attended to the voice of God, God said, don't, I will give you a ram. And then 
the rest of the story is another powerful message. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that we walk by faith, not by sight. But when we walk by faith and not by sight, seeking God through prayer and His Word, we find His voice calling us by name, leading us into Him and leading and, and His will into our lives. The Bible says that He plants within our heart the desire and the will to do the things that He has for us. How does that happen? When we spend time soaking in Him. When we spend time calling on His name. When we spend time praying and worshiping and reading the Word of God. So where does that leave us? What's our responsibility in this? Actually, you know what? It's quite simple. Our responsibility equals our ability to respond. And the only ability God needs is our availability. Let me read that again. Our responsibility equals our ability to respond. And the only ability that God needs is our availability. So having laid that foundation, perhaps you're sitting there going, well, come on, Tom, you're the shepherd of the house. You're the pastor. Aren't you supposed to have the vision? <laughs> What's God shown you? Well, I've long held a vision of being involved personally in seeing people come to a personal knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've carried that for Many years, I, I have dreamt and I continue to dream of encouraging and championing individuals and groups in their God-given giftings to be all that they can be, knowing fulfillment and making a difference in the world. I have a deep passion to see people personally experience the closeness of God. And I pray for this to happen every time I preach, every time I teach, and every time I lead worship. I have carried... I don't know how many years now, it's getting on to decades, I've carried a, a vision that God showed me years ago that in this auditorium during worship, a full auditorium like this during worship, so I'm just going to give you a heads up because I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point during that worship, there is going to be the loudest shriek and wail that you've ever heard that will be slightly blood curdling. And right at that moment during the worship, the power of God has fallen and supernaturally and miraculously healed someone. And at that point, a wave of the anointing went through the house and suddenly there was a, there were healing after 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 healing. It was just like a, I don't know if you, if you, if you like sci-fi movies when someone drops a fission bomb or something like that, you see that, or, or when the Death Star in Star Wars blew up and you saw that big ring go just like that, but by the power of God. <laughs> this has been my dream since I was 18 years old. I was asked a little while ago how long I had been involved in the worship ministry, and when I answered 40 plus years, the immediate question that follows like, how do you keep doing it? I answered that it's not, a, it's not about how do we keep doing it because that puts a limited time frame and limited energy on it. Rather, the, the answer is this. I keep doing it because I believe God has called me to do it. 
And because I believe God has called me to do it, the time frame and the energy is based on God, not on me. The very outworking of my calling, my dream, my vision is established on what I believe is from God. I'm not a worship leader or a pastor by identity. They're the, that's the engine, that's the outworking of what God has placed on my life. I'm a son of God. You're a son of God or a daughter of God. If, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, your identity is in Christ, not in what you do. You are not who you are because of what you do. You are who you are because of who you are. My identity is in God, and God has called me to encourage and exhort and lead through worship and preaching and teaching and being a pastor. And, being, and this is my world. You see on our vision statement up there, bringing the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world. This is my world. This is our world. But actually, you know what? In this auditorium, there are so many world representatives that we could take on the U.S. They may have the World Series of Baseball that's only held in the U.S., but we've got world representatives right here. Because every single one of you individually represent a world. So in sharing today and unpacking this, I want to start with this question. What do you believe? I'm doing what I'm doing because I believe God has called me to do it. What do you believe about you? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about His plan for you, His purpose for you, for your family, for, for your children, for your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, for this church? What do you believe? Because at the end of the day, your life will not reflect what you hoped for. Your life will reflect what you believe. So what do you believe? I'm so passionate about this church. <laughs> Why? Because this church is a house of belief. This church will help you believe for God's best for you, for your family, for your friends, for your future, for your eternity. You were created to believe. And you were commissioned by God to go into all the world, not all the world, but into your world, collectively all the world, to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ that whosoever would believe would not perish. I want to give you a biblical example on the power of belief. You know the story where the children of Israel are traveling through the desert. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. And, um, well, not, not quite yet. Anyway, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. Yeah, you know the story. Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others go into the land, spend 40 days searching it through, find out where the strongholds are, find out who the people are, find out what the fruit and veggies are like. All 12 come back. This is in Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament, if you want to look it up. Out of the 12 spies, 10 said it could not be done. Two said it could be done. Who was right? Who was right? 
This is a trick question. Who was right? (laughs) All 12 of them were right. All 12 of them were right. The 10 who believed it could not be done did not occupy the land and they died in the wilderness. They were right. It can't be done. We will die. They were right. The two who believed that it could be done, they entered and occupied the land that God had set aside for his chosen people. They defeated giants. They conquered mountains. They destroyed enemies in walled cities. And their legacy lives on today. Who was right? They were all right. Today is about what you believe because belief empowers vision and destiny. Again, what do you believe? I think it was Henry Ford said, if you aim at nothing, you're guaranteed to hit it. I believe, I believe that in this church, there is potential to change the city for the glory of God. And not just the city, but this nation and nations beyond. How do I base that belief? Well, first and foremost, I base it on the word of God. But secondly, this church has an amazing legacy. Let me share some of it with you. It's going to go up on the screen. Our church is nearly 70 years old. We're 70 years old next year. And in those nearly 70 years, this church and our school have been part of raising up and releasing, at least that I'm aware of, 67 pastors and missionaries. That's almost one a year. At least five people that I know of have gone into the medical world as doctors and specialist nurses. There are numerous teachers that have been raised up and released out of this place. Numerous engineers, people who have gone into the world of arts, into media, into commerce, and into sport. They are serving God and the calling and the gifting on their lives in their world. And I believe that we as a church, that's you, that's me, that's us, are called collectively to facilitate that. What do I believe and what is my vision for this church? And why is that up on the wall, bringing the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into our world? Well, over the years of leading this church, God has taken myself and the, the, the different eldership teams that we've had over the last 21 years on this amazing journey of positional and progressive revelation and vision. And a number of years ago, he solidified in our heart three values that we as a church operate out of. And these values have remained firm in our hearts since then These three values shape and anchor our vision and mission. And these three values are the three key words in our mission and vision statement. Life, hope, and purpose. So in answer to the question, what do I believe? What is the vision of this church? Well, today I'm going to unpack the first one briefly. I believe this is a church of life. And as you'll see up on the screen, every person is given life from God. We will value life from conception to the grave. 
we will operate in a manner that encourages and enhances life to see people given the opportunity to live life as Christ intended. Life and that more abundantly. Do you realize if you believe the word of God, you have no excuse to be boring? Some of you actually don't believe that. You know, there are two words that don't exist in the Bible. One of them is normal, and the other one is boring. You know what's normal in the Bible? Praying for the sick, seeing them healed, raising the dead, walking on water. I tried that several times and failed. I'll keep trying. And one day I'll be more surprised than Jesus. (laughs) That's normal in the Bible. I have a vision of a church filled with life where no generation is missed. No generation. Where it is recognized and taught that God has a purpose for every person from their conception to their glorious promotion into heaven. say this carefully, and I say this slightly trembly, but just, just as I read that out of my notes right now, I sense that there are at least three people here this morning that as I said that, they, you, you went this, that can't, be, that can't be true because I'm a mistake. You are here today to hear me tell you, you are not a mistake. 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 Your conception and your arrival may not have been the most perfect plan. And it may have been actually a very difficult thing. And maybe it still is in your heart and in your soul. But I want to tell you right now that you are not a mistake. You are here because the Bible tells me In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. That means you are a one of a kind, handcrafted, never to be repeated masterpiece. And the second half of that verse says that you were created for a purpose that God went beforehand and prepared so that you could walk in it. You are a masterpiece who's been made on purpose for a purpose. You are not a mistake. And if it's not too terrifying, at the end of this service, if you identify with that, I would, it would be such a privilege and honor to pray with you, to stand with you and believe with you in prayer for God to heal your soul and heal your heart. A church where it is recognized and taught that God has a purpose for every person from their conception to their glorious promotion into heaven. You know, as a church over the years, we've established and we continue to shape opportunities for people to grow in their personal faith from as young as three years old. Our our earliest children's program starts at three and that's our Sparks program. It goes up into Power Zone and then into Seekers and we have Voltage, which is an intermediate youth group and then we have Oxygen, which is our youth group. We're looking to establish a young adults group. We've got connect groups. There is an opportunity for every single person in this house 
regardless of your age, to learn about Jesus, to draw closer to Jesus. Even if the kids are younger than three years old, we have once a month a family connect uh, evening where, uh, uh, look, I could spend the next three hours talking about what we have here, but I won't. But we believe that every generation has the ability to connect with Jesus. The next scripture I want to read to you is one of the ones that, that rivets me and holds me to this value of life. And it's in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. It says this, When all that generation had, had been gathered to their fathers, so this is the time of Joshua when he had died and got on. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, that's uh, idol gods. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people, that's all little g's, who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which the Lord had done for Israel. With me and my team, this cannot happen in this church. This will not happen in this church. If I could kind of mash the scriptures a little bit. As for me and my team, <laughs> as for me and my team, we will serve the Lord and we will make that available for every generation in Jesus' name. We will teach the generation the good news of Jesus Christ is for every generation. There is no junior, middle-aged, or senior gospel or Holy Spirit. As God's family, we are not called to compare or compete with each other. Christ designed His family to complete each other. We comfort, encourage, and build each other up across the generations. And if I may be so bold, and it's not in my notes, so I hope I don't blow my time limit but I have experienced over the years of being a young fella in a church, growing up and leading children, being involved in children's church and youth group and worship and then eventually leading a church like Suzanne and I do now. I have experienced over the years that as the newer generations come in and the younger generations get passionate about Jesus, the older generations tend to go, well, there's no place for me in this place anymore, so I'm going to leave. I want to tell you this right now, and I, I know I can do it because... If Sam and Bex were here, they'd be leaping up and down on the seats right now. The more young people get saved, the more older folks we need to disciple them. There is an absolute place for you in this church. Because even the scriptures tell the, the older ladies to teach the younger women, the older men to teach the younger men. And you know what? That's, that's like a generational genealogical age. But you know, it's the same in faith. You know, you could, you could be a, an 18-year-old person who gave your heart to the Lord when you were 12 and you know Jesus so passionately and a 50-year-old comes in and just gets saved. Guess what, 18-year-old? You can disciple that 15-year-old. Guess what, 50-year-old? You can disciple that 18-year-old. Every generation has a purpose in this house. We, the church, are a beautiful, spirit-empowered expansion and extension of Jesus we, hold one, we have one Lord, we have one faith and one baptism. And we are God's beautiful household, His radiant bride and powerful body, created and given life by God Himself. Not to keep, 
for ourselves, but to give away. And although we await perfect completion, I can see our Lord Saviour's, I, I can see our Saviour's glorious and stunning life in all of you. I just, I love standing up here and preaching and looking around the auditorium because I can just see the amazingness of God over every single one of you. I don't know all of you deeply personally, but I know a lot of you and I know some of the gifts and the abilities that you have and I go, go you good thing. Because not one of you is a mistake. And every single one of you, according to the Bible, which I believe have been made on purpose for a purpose. What a blessing it is to be part of God's kingdom family. Amen. Here is part one. Next week, today we unpack life. Next week, we're going to unpack hope. And this is what it says. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and all things. Worship team, please come. And all things we will serve, lead, and influence based on that hope. As we wrap up this morning, there was that, if, if you weren't sure what that was or what happened when I just talked about those who sensed that they were a mistake, I believe that the Holy Spirit showed me that. That's, it, it, in the Bible, it's described as having a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. We have a ministry team here that uh, are people that we know and trust who will stand and pray with people. And so I, I want to, when we start singing, I want to invite that ministry team to come because I believe in three things that need to be prayed for this morning. And I want to make this invitation to you. First and foremost, if you don't know the life that I have been talking about, if you don't know the power of belief that is at operation in my life that I've been talking about, then this morning is an opportunity for you to literally put your hand on the hand of Jesus and ask him to come into your life and to make your life whole. And then the journey begins, positional, progressive. But the start of that is asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's the first thing I believe that people need to respond to this morning, and I want to invite you to respond as we sing. The second thing that God showed me while I was preparing this is that there are a number of people here this morning where it's like your souls are in decay. Your souls are like dried up plums or prunes. And they are like that because it's like the enemy, life, circumstance, lies, trauma, whatever, has literally robbed the life of God out of your heart and mind, out of your soul. And I believe that the power of God is in this place today to see that healed, to see that restored. Because life itself comes from God. And like I said, next week, we're going to be talking and unpacking the hope of God, the hope that comes from Jesus.